What's up, Don Nation? My name's Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to episode 7.5 of Behind the Daw. Now, what the heck is a .5 episode? Well, Behind the Daw is where we usually interview music producers, artists, music industry experts on an emotional, philosophical, artistic, and music business basis. But with the .5 episodes, we take the audio from our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite artists to dissect their songs in real time. We put it in a podcast form so you can listen to it on the go and get that perfect combination of emotional and technical knowledge. Don't worry if you want to watch it go for it. You can go to YouTube and watch it. But if you want to listen to it, this is the place. Before we get into the interview this week and I introduce who our special guest is, I want to really quick tell you about four links that are in the description right now. First link is about the Patreon. The Patreon is what fuels and funds this podcast. It allows us to keep going and to keep doing these interviews so that we can give it to you for free. It starts at a dollar a month. It literally means the world if you could do that to help us keep going with this. Plus, with a dollar a month, you get an access to a patron only community literally means the world if you would check it out go ahead and check it out link in the description second link down there is for suggestions if you want to suggest someone to come on the show for in the dot or behind the dot go ahead and click that link it'll take you to the da bot uh the next link in there is for private lessons if you're interested in music production lessons or social media marketing private lessons go ahead and click on that link and finally this is a special link that is only unique to this episode there is a link to the stems of the song that is playing in the description right now and the song that we're going to be breaking down in in the daw today so with that being said i'm just going to do a quick introduction for the artist that we are interviewing today his name is thrilogy this guy is extremely underrated he's incredible as you listen to this episode you'll see exactly what i'm talking about today we're going to be talking about the differences in ableton and fl studio because he is a native fl studio user we're also going to be talking about unique tips and tricks with starting a song we all know how hard it is to start a song sometimes so don't worry we're going to be talking about that we're also going to be talking about tips and tricks for songwriting he's actually an incredible songwriter so don't worry we're going to get into that and then finally we're going to be talking about that gentle balance between variation and repetition. How do you know when a song is too variant? And how do you know when a song is just too repetitious? Don't worry about that. We're going to talk about it here soon. If you like this episode, please like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, whatever is appropriate on the platform that you are listening on. Maybe it's iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Deezer, Google Play, YouTube, whatever it is, please do the appropriate action on there. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind the Doll with Thrilogy. And without further ado, I want to introduce you to Thrilogy. This song, actually, I didn't start off with like a beat or a melody or anything. I literally came in and sang the vocal chop, like the the hook basically, and then wrote the entire song based around that. So it was kind of a, it was kind of an interesting way to do it. I don't normally do it that way, but just kind of worked out for the song. That's really interesting. So you, so the very first thing that you did for this is you went and sung it. And it's, it's, it's kind of like on the, the bar right before the drop, right? That's, that's, yeah. yeah. Can we check that out really quick? Yeah. So it's this one right here. So I have them both layered. I have a high part and a low part just to kind of give it that little, little bit more of an edge. So with that, that, that's the only vocal that you have in this entire track, right? Correct, yeah. And so you, you wrote that one line and it's cool because it's like you have this massive track, but you only have this one line. It was all based around that one hook. <laughs> that's amazing. 
and and, and and when you had that little bit of vocal in mind did you did you kind of have a, a rough idea about where it might go afterwards because certainly whenever whenever i kind of start in that way i always have a rough idea about what may come after even though, even if i don't know the the details so this one yeah i knew i wanted to be dark um I didn't have any direction though. I started, so I started with that vocal hook and then the next part that I did there was this piano. Um, it was just a very, a very just kind of dark. And then the, the rest of the song is kind of based around that. And so did you copy that MIDI over to like your main synths and everything like that? Or did you write a part for each? I wrote, a, I wrote a part for each one because like if you if you listen here um, I have kind of like a grungy bass sound that doesn't really follow that but it kind of it, it kind of a new pattern like a new beat pattern comes in right here whereas this one's more like fourths it's a lot more even That makes sense. And I'm assuming that that little vocal that's going, that, that, that's your vocal, right? Yeah, I just, I, I pitched it up and chopped it a little bit. And then, yeah, just put it in there. I really like the way it sounds. So that's awesome. Something, uh, most part, sorry, I got a question for him. Uh, so something that I wanted to ask you about uh, with this is I, I find it interesting to hear people's different ways of finding a chord progression. You know, some people will take the chord progression of their favorite song. And because you can't copyright a chord progression, that, like, that that's legal, that's fine, you can do that. Then they bring it in, maybe they change it, maybe they don't. Some people just sit at the piano, play it, and go crazy, you know what I mean? So like, what's, what's your, your, uh, your preferred method of coming up with the chord progression? Um, I always, I always come up with it just from piano. Um, just cause you know, I've, I have a pretty good understanding of like chords and chord progressions and the way they work. Um, I've been playing piano since I was four. So generally, uh, yeah, with this one, I just, I just sat on the piano and just kind of, just kind of played what I felt, you know, <laughs> kind of like just whatever kind of comes to mind is what, what ends up happening. So really quick. I see something right there that says AU5 bass. What is that? I, I gotta know. So that is, uh, so this is Harmer, which... He told me about this. This is cool. Yeah. So I don't think he really uses Harmer that much, but I kind of tried to recreate. I love, I love the sound of his bass in all of his like melodic dubstep songs. He has a very like sharp sounding bass. So I tried to recreate that. It's, this is as close as I could get it, but... <laughs> which is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> So basically with that, um, one thing that Al5 does when he... Is it AU5 or Al5? It, it, you can literally say it anyway. Some people say AUS, some people say AU5, some people say Al5. So I've asked yeah. him, like, whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this one, um, it's funny because what he used for his like wobbles and stuff um, is a little bit unorthodox. He uses like an EQ a lot of the time to give, him, to give his bass a wobble. So... Let me see if I can demonstrate it. As opposed to like volume automation. Yeah. So like this one. Why does that not come through? There we go. So he'll use he'll use the just like a peak right here. I'll kind of like. That's what he'll do a lot of the time for his wobbles, which is really cool. You know the uh, the science behind this multiplier, and I don't fully understand it. So when it becomes like that, it becomes a a, a formant filter at that point right basically yes yeah 
Gotcha. Awesome, awesome. And uh, so is, is that literally automating like a normal parametric EQ like we see here? Or is that using a special like uh, filter designed for automation? Or? Yeah, it's just it's just the normal EQ. There's no like, it's not technically a filter. You just kind of, you know, boost one of the peaks and then move it around from there. You can automate that. Do you use Harmer quite a bit? Um, you know, Harmer, so it was one of those plugins that when I first got FL Studio, it was, it was like one of the, the ones that had come with it. Um, so I did use it a lot. I got pretty good at like at knowing my way around it. And it's actually a really awesome plugin. It's, I, I would say it's a little underrated. It's a good wavetable synth. Um, probably not as good as Serum, but you can do a lot with it. Yeah. He was, uh, AU5 was telling me about it when we were talking. So he was saying that like, it's, it's actually like one of his favorite synths that he feels super bad because now he's on Mac and he's using Ableton and everything. And so I guess it doesn't, you can't get it for Ableton basically. I mean, yeah, just because it's specifically an image line synth. Um, so it's, it's FL Studio based. That kind of sucks. If, if there's anyone out there who knows how to get it for a Mac and so that we can pull it up into Ableton. Oh, I guess you could pull it up in Ableton on Windows too. But if anyone can figure that out, post it in the description. Did the, like, how did you approach the arrangement for the second drop? Did, it, uh, did you have additional layers or change things up a bit or...? Um, yeah, so the second drop, I actually, I put in a little bit different cuts than I had on the first one. Um, so basically like, whereas this, this section over here, little cups are a little bit. I have like a little drum, uh, little drum fill there. And then here on the second one, I had like. Clipping and that's okay. It's a little bit of clipping. <laughs> that's okay. It's, we realize it's just because you turned it up for Zoom. It's not. You're not an, an amateur artist. <laughs> um, yeah. So just I, I like to switch up the cuts a lot um, in you know in my different courses, and it, it really depends on the song too because um, a lot of them I will add additional layers or change up the melody. But this one, I feel like this song was a lot more straightforward. It was it was very. It just made sense the way that I wrote it. I, I, I didn't really like try and be complex uh, like I normally do. Like normally I like to throw in like complex little arps and um, you know, fills and runs and stuff like this. But this one, I just, I feel like because it was such an emotional song, it was just very, very straightforward. It just kind of, <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of came to me as cheesy as that sounds. Awesome. Awesome. And, and the arpeggios, did you uh, build them from the chords or did you just use your in instinct in terms of what, what felt right? Yeah. So I, I generally build arpeggios from the chords, um, just kind of try and follow that template. So like this. So I don't, I don't copy and paste the chords over and go from there. Generally, I'll just, I'll try and, I'll try and follow the, the notes within that scale and kind of mess around with it a little bit. That's awesome. So yeah, cause, cause quite a few people, for those of you who don't understand what's going on right now. So quite a few people, what they do is, so they write a chord progression. Uh, let's say it's one minor, five minor, four minor, three major, right? Let's just say it's just something like that. And what they'll do is they'll take that and they'll copy it over to, let's say their lead synth, and then they'll go through and maybe cut out the chords, but more so just keep one note from each chord. So basically the, 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 the melody is following 
the chords at that point. But it's, from what you're telling me, John, or from what you're telling us, John, is that you don't do that. You have your chords, and then you go to the next instrument, and you and you, you write whatever feels good. It doesn't even have to necessarily be in the chord at that point, right? Correct. Yeah, that's awesome. Because to me, that's that's more interesting. You know what I mean? You're more yeah. at that point. You're not confined to just the notes that are in the chord. You know? Yeah. Generally, I try I try to avoid like copying and pasting. I feel like it kind of it ends up sometimes for me anyway. When I try and write that way, it ends up being a little bit linear. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I generally try and if I like if I open a new instrument or if I open a new synth, I generally try and start from scratch. That's awesome. You uh, you actually bring up a really good point that multiplier taught me a while ago and i'd love for you to expand on it multiplier was basically saying you know like in the course of let's say the first verse right just to like create a four bar loop and then duplicate it over and over and over isn't a good thing you need to have something you know you need to have consistency between like let's say your, your verses bars you need to have consistency between those 16 bars but something in order for it to be interesting constantly needs to be changing whether it's the cutoff filter opening up and stuff like that right isn't that what you told me one time yeah, definitely. So the, the kind of the idea is you want change happening the whole way through the track. Um, and I, I suppose the more nuanced thing is for different genres, you will have different things changing and also kind of different amounts of change. So if you take, say, like like a techno trap in the, uh, the one extreme, on the one hand, it kind of sounds like the same thing looped for eight minutes, but there's still actually change happening every every second or so the whole way through. It just tends to be a bit more, a bit more subtle um, compared to, say, I don't know, like a dubstep track or a pop track where you might literally have eight bars and then a whole brand new thing for eight bars and then a whole brand new thing again for another eight bars. So kind of how you, how you make that change depends on the genre and how you want to do it, but you kind of fundamentally want things changing from beginning to end. So how do you go about that, John? How do you go about uh, finding the, the nice little balance between variation and repetition? Because I kind of feel like that's the battle that all of us kind of struggle with. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I like to have a theme that kind of like the kind of I, I use throughout this song. And it's funny because this, this song, it kind of started uh, this little bell, this bell line here that I, I came up with. So that I actually started writing in a major key. Um, and it, it sounded more like this. So with that, I actually, I kind of, I was almost just messing around at that point. I wasn't really trying to like write anything to this song. I was just, I had that bell sound and I was kind of playing on the piano and I was, I was like that hook would sound really good or that, that line would sound really good over, over this part over here. So then I just, I kind of, I just took the top part. I didn't use the, the chord progression. I just took the top part and put it over uh, my main, my main chord progression. And it, it ended up sounding like this. just gives it a completely different feel and then i actually bring that back in again at the very end in that in that major with the major conclusion um that way it kind of it almost sounds like hopeful at the end you know because like the the for the most part of the song it sounds very very dark very very kind of eerie and then at the end i kind of want to bring in this sort of major hopeful vibe to it if that makes sense and how long would this uh, track like this normally take uh, from from literally that initial vocal thing through to uh, final master um for me honestly it really depends on my level of inspiration <laughs> um this song actually took i think it was about a week to to kind of like you know get all the from start to finish get the mixing mastering done but some songs you know like just depending on 
on how much you know inspiration I feel like I'm getting at the time. They can take a lot longer. They can you know take a lot quicker. So how long did this end up taking? It took me about a week, a week from start to finish to to get all the the chord progression, melodies, mixing, mastering down um, to where I had like a final wave file that I could feel comfortable uploading. I still think that's awesome. From the time that you started to the final master, it took a week. That's a pretty dang good time. I mean, <laughs> well, and honestly, like in in terms of of music that I normally write, this this was a very it was fairly simple and straightforward. Like, there's there's not a lot going on in this song. It's more about the emotion than it is like the complexity, if that makes sense. I feel like this song actually took a lot faster than most songs normally do. I would say most songs normally take me at at least two or three weeks. Gotcha. So question with that then, how does one, because I kind of feel like this is also the common battle with, with a musician is that they don't know how to properly get their emotions out into the DAW. You know what I mean? Because it sounded like you did it relatively quick. I mean, we got some people trying to get, you know, a very emotional song out and it takes a year to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. How did you, I mean, how did you get to a point where you're like, this really conveys what I'm feeling? You know, like, I actually feel good about this. So, you know, did you, did yeah. you prefer method or? Um, that's such a good question because it's, it's so hard to answer, you know, with one, with one answer really. Um, cause for me, I, I feel like I have an, I have an understanding of music where I can, I can play what I'm feeling on the piano. Like I can, I can kind of like, I can play any chord progression that kind of like portrays how I'm feeling at the time. And so a lot of times, like a lot of times it really depends on, on how I'm feeling at the time. Cause this wasn't a very, this was a, this was a very emotionally driven song at the time. I was very emotionally charged. Uh, it was, it was really easy for me to just sit down and kind of, kind of just play what came to mind and say, that's what I'm feeling. But it really, really depends. I would say it depends on the authenticity of it, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of artists try and create that emotional song for almost like the pop factor, if that makes sense. It's not really, it's not really something that they're feeling. It's not really something that that drives them. It's more just uh, they're trying to make a catchy hook that speaks to the audience, if that makes sense. So I feel like, honestly, I feel like it really just depends on on you. Really, it depends on how you're feeling. It depends on your level of inspiration. This was just, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those those lucky happenstances that I just sat down and it kind of just came to me. <laughs> That's interesting. So what, so what you're saying is that, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying is that basically what you did to, to really help get your emotions out onto the DAW, basically, you basically put your ego completely to the side. I was just like, I don't care how many people are going to like this. I don't care who this is going to go to. All I care about right now is getting my emotions out. I'm not going to use samples that's popular right now. I'm not going to use techniques that's popular right now. I'm going to do things that feel good to me and that perfectly convey the emotion. And I kind of feel like by doing that at the end, it will create a giant, basically ball of emotion that's compartmentalized with all these things, right? Yeah, exactly. And I'm, you know, I'm guilty of writing the song that I, I kind of want to cater to people. You know, <laughs> I've, I've written those songs. I've, I've catered before, but That's this awesome. song, this song literally has nothing to do with that. It honestly, I wasn't really, I wasn't really expecting it to receive the, um, you know, the feedback that I did. <laughs> it actually ended up being my best received song, but it was just, yeah, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't like, I wasn't trying to, to write it to, to kind of cater to anyone's taste. I was just writing it because it was what kind of came to me. Yeah. So were there any points in this track that you found difficult? Uh, I mean, the, I mean, I suppose the fact it came, came together in about a week or so is a sign it, sign it flowed pretty well, but were there any, were there any bits where it was songwriting or, or finding the right samples? It was a, 
a bit, bit more challenging? Yeah. Um, I, I wanted the drums to be very big and powerful and that honestly is hard in itself to do. Also, I wanted to, I wanted to have a very like realistic, authentic feel for the drums. I would say coming up with this little, uh, this little drum riff right here was kind of hard just cause just trying to find the samples and stuff that actually like work. That little roll there is all, it's not like, it's not like any sort of sample. It's all just uh, different samples that I, I, I lined up to, to kind of like make that, if that makes sense. And then just like the processing the drums to make them sound really big and wide. Um, that's generally a hard thing. And it's funny cause like this kick right here that I use, um, I actually put a guitar distortion on it right here. Uh, CL it. Love that. Yeah. Just to, just to give it that, that really, um, kind of crunchy feel just, I put, I put a guitar distortion and I used a couple other, um, this one as well. I really, really like this one. It's just basically an EQ from waves and, uh, I really, really like it. So when you're looking for samples and you're trying to find the right one, um, do you kind of choose the sample knowing that you then may, what's, Better I put a phrase in the question. So when you're choosing samples, do you kind of choose them expecting that you have to process them loads or do you, or do you try and pretty much find the, the perfect sample, even if it takes, I don't know, like 40, 50 minutes or so to find that perfect sample? Um, I actually, honestly, I don't, <laughs> I don't have as many sample packs as I would like. So I feel like I end up having to uh, work with a lot of the ones that I do have. And honestly, it's probably just that I haven't really taken the time to sit down and go find a bunch of sample packs. Um, but I have, I have some ones that I really, really like, like Cashmere, uh, his, his, uh, volume sounds of Cashmere volume two. I really, I love that sample pack. There's a lot of really high quality samples in there. Um, but I think for this one I used, it was one that I had gotten from somatics. Uh, and that's the original sample. That's what it sounds like. And then after processing it kind of, it sounded more like this. So there's definitely a significant amount of processing that went into making that, giving it that huge crunchy feel. Just looking at your, your session here right now. So I'm, I'm not as familiar with FL as I probably should be. So do you, uh, do you do any group processing? Like for example, did you group process all of your drums together? No, generally I do. I do every one on a separate bus. Hmm. Um, and honestly, a lot of that is, <laughs> I just haven't figured out in FL how to, how to have an effects bus. Like I know how to, I know how to route it to a different track, but I cannot for the life of me, like figure out how to get it coming out of just, if, if that makes sense, like how to get it all coming out of just that one track instead of like duplicating the sound. We are probably not the guys that. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. That's good. No worries. And do, do, do you find that you ever, cause yeah, it's, it's a question I get asked at, at least once a week or so, like what, what door to get. So my answer has always been, you can make the best tracks in the world using any door. Um, but I suppose, objectively speaking, you probably wouldn't choose FL. Um, so do, do, you, do you feel creatively held back by the, the door at all? Or? Um, no, I wouldn't say like creatively. I don't think there's any sort of like, I honestly, I love FL. I think it's a, I think it's a really good DAW to start with, especially like for people who are just interested in getting it because the workflow is so easy. The piano roll is just brilliant. It's a very, very easy workflow. It's more like the performance side of it that I would say FL is lacking, which is why I, I want to move to Ableton just because eventually I want to be performing my music live with like keyboards and drums and stuff. And I just really couldn't do that with FL. Oh, that's interesting. So you want to move to Ableton for more of the, the live aspect. Correct. Yeah. Honestly, I'll probably just produce an FL until I die. <laughs> but, um, 
with Ableton, I want to I want to have that live aspect for it. Was there any new techniques that you tried in this that uh, that you hadn't tried before? Basically, like you're just like you know what I heard about this in a tutorial. I'm going to try this and see if it works out. I would say like the vocal chops a little bit because I, I haven't really done a lot with vocal chops before. This one, I wasn't really trying any techniques that I had seen online. I just kind of was messing around with it. So during the actual drop part, I have I have kind of these two layers. I, so I, I took part of this sample here, basically that right there, and then I repeated it. So it sounds like this. And then... Um, I took I took a section of it and I pitched it higher and I put it into a uh, direct wave, which is Fruity's sampler, basically. And then I kind of just I layered that over the top of it right here, so it kind of gives it. Um, so that was something I hadn't really tried before, and it, it ended up I really really liked it. I like the way it sounds. Um, so altogether. It's really subtle in the background. You can kind of barely even tell it's there, but it, it just gives it that little bit of an edge. So how did you decide where to do the vocal chops? I've heard different techniques and everything, but how did you decide you're like, nope, that little part right there, that's that's the good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work with that. Um, honestly, a lot of it is just experimenting and messing around with it. Like I, I took other sections of the little vocal sample that I had and messed around with it, but I just, I didn't like any of them. Uh, that one was just... I don't know. It just kind of made sense to have that part repeat. Yeah, I, I guess that's really the best answer I have for you. Oh, it's awesome. Do you still have the the vocal processing on the main vocal? This one, I kind of wanted it to sound like it was had a little bit of a distortion on it, kind of like a, a voice box type. Mm-hmm. Oh, not a voice box. What's what's that like? Kind of like a vintage feel. I actually did a lot of processing on it, <laughs> as you can see. It usually, so I have this one. It's basically just a stereo widener. The one above that picture is that is that just like the like auto tune basically? Yeah, I just have like a kind of subtle auto tune on there just to make it sound a little smoother. By the way, Valhalla Shimmer is one of my absolute absolute favorite plugins of all time. Yeah, then I had uh, just an effects on there that give it a little bit of like distortion to make it sound a little bit more vintage. We could have been forever. Whereas without it, it would sound more. We could have been forever. So yeah, because it just kind of depends on the type of sound you want. Do you want more of that that, that raspy kind of older sound or the more clear sound, which in your case, the raspy, more vintage sound was the better option. Yeah, and I don't really know why I went with that. Honestly, it just it just kind of worked. <laughs> um, I just really liked the way it sounded. I wasn't I wasn't really like I didn't create the vocal pattern with the intention of giving it that sound. I just kind of it just kind of I found it and it worked. So kept oh, yeah, it. that's awesome. So Perfect. sorry, Gaffey. Yeah, yeah, you go for it, dude. Oh, sorry, yeah. so, just 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 a, a quick one. So, when when you're choosing stuff like reverbs, do you, are you? I suppose are, are you doing it consciously, thinking about the stereo image and thinking about where things are sitting and where the reverb might sit around it, or are you going more on just kind of feel and how it and how it kind of makes you feel? I suppose emotionally when you um, are playing the track. Um, I generally uh, my the reverb that I choose is based a lot on like yes, like where what it, what it is like where it's sitting in the track. So shimmer. It's actually, it's not even really so much a reverb as it is like an ambience, but usually I only use shimmer on, on, on high ends, like on leads, on high synths, you know, plucky bells, stuff like that. And then if I, if I want reverb on like a, a little bit more of a mid or like a vocal or anything like that, I'll use, 
uh, Valhalla room. And I just have very, very light reverb on it to just give it kind of a little bit more of a, a, a little bit more of a uh, wider feel. Yeah, that's basically, that's basically the two reverbs that are my favorite. Uh, question for you. I think it's, uh, I think that's track three right there that I'm looking at. So in FL, can you have MIDI and audio on the same track? Are you talking about in the mixer bus or what? I think it's the one where your higher vocal chop is up on the arrangement. Yeah, because it says mm-hmm. pattern 14. Pattern 14. Oh, this one right here? Yeah, so like, isn't that MIDI followed by audio? Um, basically, it's just it's just layered over it. I've never seen that before. Multiplier, mm-hmm. explain the I, sign. I probably, <laughs> I probably should have heard of that before, but no, I must have, I've never, never seen that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I, you can basically like, you can lay it on top of whatever. It's, it's, it'll still play like wherever it is. That's strange. I think I heard about this in Bitwig, I think, where you can kind of do this, or you can have audio and and MIDI on the same track. My mind, my Ableton mind is kind of boggled right now as to how that works, to be honest. Yeah, my whole like audio, audio routine uh, kind of brain is, is short, short-circuiting a little bit. <laughs> Honestly, like, well, that's actually, it's funny that you say that because that's, that's one of the things that a lot of people don't like about FL Studio is that it's so, it's so open to kind of do whatever you want. There's not really like a set process. Like you can, you can basically, you know, put audio and MIDI and, uh, you know, anything like automation clips you could have them on any on anywhere basically which can end up being kind of messy you and if you look at my workflow I, it's very messy i don't really like i don't really color code or organize it, it just kind of it's just kind of a mess which makes it harder for me if i have to go back later but honestly it's just because i'm kind of lazy about it <laughs> no, that's, that's cool man yeah, so I suppose also part, part, partly helping me, but also other, other people that are a bit more familiar with Ableton. So what I'm looking at here is this. Uh, so like everything from above the purple line is that all your all, all your main elements, or is there kind of other other elements further down? Or um, it really just depends. <clears throat> so generally, when I bounce a track down, it'll go. It'll automatically show up below everything here. Uh, it'll show up in the in the next available slot, if that makes sense. So if I like this right here, I think I just had like a little. But yeah, basically, basically anything can go anywhere. And I, I just kind of organize it so that I have all the main elements kind of on the top. And then the automation usually is on the bottom, just because it makes it a little bit easier to, to make sense of. I suppose also just in terms of your, your track count here, is this, I mean, what, what I like about it is, is, is you can kind of, because there's not in, in, in the case of Trivector, like, like 300 different channels, uh, you can literally just glance at, at, at the screen and, and work out what's playing at any given time. Um, is this, is, is this a, a pretty normal track count for you? Because I personally like, like to, if possible, keep it, keep, keep it low as well. Um, honestly, yeah, this is, this is a low, this is on the low end. <laughs> yeah. Generally my tracks like honestly come, come down to like 20, 25. I have a lot of stuff generally going on in most of my songs. This one's pretty simple. <laughs> What's the highest uh, track count that you've had? Honestly, I don't even know. I generally, if it gets down into like where, where I have to start like expanding some, that's generally like <laughs> way too many. <laughs> so I would say, I would say like probably like, I don't know, 40. So talking about different DAWs right now, what have you seen inside of Ableton so far? That's super confusing as opposed to FL. Uh, the first time I opened up Ableton to try and figure it out, I just, I gave up in like two seconds because I couldn't figure out how to get to the playlist. Like I couldn't figure out how to get to this part. And it was, it was funny because I, I was asking uh, Brendan about it later and uh, he's like, oh dude, you just hit tab. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that makes oh, sense. Okay, so you were stuck in the session mode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it, that was like, honestly, as much thought as I gave it. I was just like, eh, I'm done. I'm, I'm using FL Studio. 
So now that I figured that out, I'm willing to give it another shot. I, I definitely need to move in, in the direction of Ableton. No, that's that's totally cool. Here's here's my honest honest opinion about about DAWs. Right, I see them as uh, as I view DAWs as I view cars. Right, basically, doesn't matter if you have a Ford Fusion as opposed to a Chevy Cruze. Not really. You know what I mean? As long as you know how to drive your Ford Fusion and you know how to get from point A to point B and how to change the oil and how to back up and how to do like all that kind of stuff, like high five. Once you start getting into the nitty gritty of all that kind of stuff, then you see there starts to be bells and whistles with each one that's different from so-and-so to so-and-so. So for example, like an FL here, how you can put audio and MIDI on the same track, you can't do that in Ableton, all right? Yeah. Well, that's one bell and whistle that FL has. And then let's say, you know, like a bell and whistle that Logic has is their vocal comping capabilities that, to my knowledge, no other DAW has. And so that's one of their bells and whistles. And then in Ableton, they have the session view, which depending on who you are and how you write your music and everything could be a bell and whistle or it could be an endurance. Is that making sense? I mean, do you guys? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So was there anything in this track you did that people might say is technically wrong, quote unquote, even though it worked in the context of the track? Uh, I'm sure there is a lot of, a lot of times I would say one of the biggest things that I do wrong is not using a, a dedicated effects bus. And, and right now that's really just cause I, I'm not even sure how to do that. But just because like, if you, if you have like reverb on a lot of, on a lot of tracks, it can sound muddy. And I, I feel like I've just kind of, I've been able to figure out how to do it in a way where it doesn't. I, I've kind of like just understanding the way sound works and the way that, you know, kind of reverb uh, works. It, I've just been able to figure out a way to do it where it doesn't sound muddy, such as you know only using like like shimmer, like really huge reverbs on this on the very high, on the very highest like leads and stuff like that, and then using like like very very minimal reverbs on on mids and stuff like that. Um, so the question that I have for you is uh, the question that we always ask people when they come on the show. So it's basically, you know, if you could go back in time and set with younger John when he was composing this song was would there be anything that you would tell younger john that would kind of help the process go easier or would you is there anything you tell him to avoid or to try differently or anything like that yes because if you <laughs> if you look right here so I'm on, this is my master track right here and i have this uh, it's this native to to fl plugin called maximus and it basically it's like a it's like a a multi maximizer is that what it is yeah well it's just it's like just a master basically whoa what was that um, that's just like, it's just cool. the bands when I, that's just like, if it's not playing anything, it kind of just does that for, Oh my for, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Basically it's more for mastering than it is for like, for EQ. It, it, it has like compression. You can like really, you can compress like mids and lows and stuff like that. Anyways. Um, one thing that I used to do that I, I just, I look back and I kick myself because it actually ended up messing up a lot of the original songs that I had. Uh, I used to, I used to, I used to create my songs with this on. Basically, I would I would create I would create it with a mastering plugin on, just to kind of like I, I don't know if it was just to kind of like speed up the process of you know not having to master it as much at the end, but it actually it caused a lot of issues afterwards when I would go in and try and adjust levels and stuff like that. So that is something that I'm glad I've moved away from. I now use Ozone to master, and I I generally bounce it down to a WAV file and then start a whole new project and master in that. Gotcha. So just so that I understand, so the, the, the basically what you go back and tell yourself is that you would not produce the track with the mastering chain on. So it's not like limiting and, and doing all that kind of stuff. You would actually like leave that to 
the intel later and just produce the song as it is, right? Yeah, so right now I turn off everything. Uh, I turn off like the limiter and I turn off Maximus and then I create everything and then go back and add that later. Because honestly, it just, it, it really, it really, it doesn't help with the levels or anything. I, I, like, I like being able to go back and kind of find my peak after, after I have like the loudest part of the song created. That way I can, I can really like adjust the limiter and, and see where I'm at. What's your thoughts on that multiplier? Do you feel like that's a wise thing? Yeah, to the whole, I suppose people sometimes call it mixing through a limiter or, or, or yes, suppose mixing through a limiter, people might say. The only way that I can personally wrap my head around doing it in a way that makes sense to me would be is if you could literally see the limiter at all times. So while, so while you're literally producing your track and doing your sound design, doing songwriting, if, if, if you could see at all times, even if it's just in your peripheral vision, like how the limiter's doing the limiting, then I could kind of consider it to, uh, to, to be okay. Cause you can see if say the limiter is doing like 10 dB of, of limiting or just two. But for me personally, uh, I, I prefer to separate the task, but, but the kind of more nuanced thing is you have to, for, for genres like dubstep and stuff where, where you do definitely want to slam it through a limiter, you have to kind of produce the track knowing that it's going to change in mastering. Um, so it's kind of, I think it's probably more important that you just get good at doing it one way or the other and, and don't flip flop. Uh, but I think if I was to teach anyone fresh, I would say don't mix through a limiter, but then definitely like do it knowing that you will flatten your track out potentially at least um, during, during mastering. Yeah, I was ready to move into the next track really cool just to give you a little bit of extra PR because that track is... Yeah, that's it. a lot of the ways that I design my sense. So the, the exhaust is just white noise. That's all it is. Um, I use, cause I, so the way I design it, I usually have like a mid and I cut the highs and then I fill the highs with it, with the white noise. Um, just to kind of give it that. Uh, what was that? For your super saw or what, what, what are we talking about here? For? Um, yeah, for generally for super saws like this one. Um, oh, cool. Cause yeah, that's the same thing that Trivector did that I've been meaning to kind of try myself. Yeah. Because it, it kind of makes makes sense logically when I when I think it through because of, it's it's like a, it's like a smoother top end because all the harmonics get a bit 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 too tight. Exactly. That's kind of without it, and then if I if I put it all together, just very very lightly here in the top, it just kind of gives it that that little bit of harmonic excitement up there. Yeah, and so that's when I when I designed my super saws, I, I used to just actually use a plug-in and use straight white noise, but Cashmere had an exhaust that. <laughs> It's it's the exact same thing. Gotcha. It's like it's so much easier just to use a sample and just lay it on top of there. 
Yeah. So generally the way I design my, my super saws and, uh, I usually have a midsection that I cut off the lows and the highs. So like this right here, and even this, like, so the AU5 base that I use here, I cut off, I cut off the lows and keep just the mids and the highs to give it that crunchy sound, but I don't use it for a base. And then I fill, I fill the low end with the sub awesome. and then just do the exact same thing on the top end with the, with the white noise. Gotcha. So last thing that we like to do before we wrap up our interviews, and you know this, but uh, we like to ask you, would you like us to give you feedback on, on this song or, or on the catalyst? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Between the catalyst and this song, which one would you like more? This song. Okay. That sounds good. I have two pieces of advice for you. One of them is a workflow and one of them is a sound design thing that I'd like you to try. Number one is the, the sound design one. Um, I saw, uh, obviously, in this track and the one before, so you have Harmer with the, with the AU5 preset that you... So something that he told me, what he does now, instead of using uh, Harmer, because now, of course, he's on a Mac and he's in Ableton, what he uses now to get that certain like signature au5 thing i really hope he's okay with you saying this he's pretty cool if not we'll take it out but um so what he told me uh what he does now is he uses um you ever heard of isotopes iris 2 i've heard of it yeah cool it's a very very cool plugin it's like basically so you take uh what's called you take a waveform right and you kind of drag that into iris 2 and then it looks very similar to photoshop you can like go in and highlight certain parts of the waveform. And I don't understand the science behind it of how it works or anything, but it basically gives that similar sound to Harmer. And I would say arguably even a better sound. So if I were you, what I would do is I'd go download the free demo of Iris, Iris 2, maybe watch the tutorials how to use it, because the sounds that come out of that is incredible. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. So I highly encourage you to check that out, man. I definitely will, yeah. Perfect. And then the second uh, piece of advice that I have for you is workflow. And I forgot to ask if you do this, but I also want to just tell our viewers about it because it's a really good uh, piece of workflow and could potentially help you uh, maybe already do it. So basically, um, what I was taught at Icon, which I absolutely changed my life with uh, getting things done, is that you create basically a checklist of things that you need to do for a song. And you put it in a very methodical order. So like, for example, the first thing that it sounds like you did for, for the catalyst, and maybe I'm assuming this for this one too, was you created a chord progression, right? So depending on the person, you know, this needs to be very individualized. Some people like to start with sound design. Some people like to start with chord progression. Some people like to start with vocals, so on and so forth. You have to individualize it for yourself. But you basically say, okay, okay, what all needs to go into this song? All right, I need a chord progression. I need a melody. I need to do some sound design. I need to pick some drum samples. I need to sequence those drum samples. I need to do so on and so forth. And basically, as you start to do that, you're never just sitting on the computer working on a song. You're always very, like using your time the best way you can. You look at your list, and you're like, okay, I need to do a chord progression now. And so you're using your time to do that. And then, so by, by basically doing the, the hard lift or the, the, the heavy lifting like that, that makes the, the creativity part of you just so easy to come in and do. Does that make sense? Because no longer do you have to be like, waste the brain power thinking, do I need to do chord progressions? Do I need to do melodies today? Do I need to do drums? It's like, okay, list. Okay, here we go. And you're back into the dawn. You're doing everything that you need. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So I would say like one of my biggest weaknesses is having kind of that structure because I, I don't, I don't really like, I, I kind of just like, I just go in and I just kind of mess around and, and whatever happens happens, which, you know, can kind of be a problem because it's just not very organized ever. And so I, yeah, I definitely think that's a good idea. I'll, I'll definitely start trying that. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And that, that is like the, the biggest argument that I can think of with this is that like a lot of, I've heard quite a few people say that this method hinders their creation or hinders their creativity. To me, it enhances it because I'm not wasting the brain power trying to figure out what I need to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because you know, with each song, it has to have certain elements. And so you just write those certain elements out. And, you know, like at night, when my wife and my daughter go to sleep, I put my checklist on my Google spreadsheet. And I'm like, hey, I need to work on this right now. And so I go and I do it and I get it done. And it really just like basically cuts out like 20% of unneeded brain power that you would have used otherwise. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, just I suppose one, one cool, cool idea that I've been. Uh... Not, not really researching, but just really enjoying recently. Um, so one of the older Major Lazer tracks, Major Lazer tracks called Get Free, like one of my favorite songs ever. I found if you compare how, uh, I suppose it was, was Diplo and then maybe the other guy at the time. So kind of how he uses vocal chops uh, in say Get Free, it feels like it's on a whole new level compared to how most people do it. So he's, he's first of all got a great vocal, uh, such as you have here. And he, he's not just doing kind of vocal chops and kind of pit, uh, different, different pitches and stuff, but he's almost doing like counterpoint melody, but not really with melodies, but more like vocal chops. So if you kind of quite consciously listen to yeah that major laser track, Get Free, and kind of like putting your producer hat on, uh, analyze the track to see how the different vocal chops kind of start at the beginning, quite simple, and they get more and more advanced in, in this really sort of cool counterpoint way where you get all these different kind of harmonies and diff different tones popping out. So yeah, I suppose just a, a advice to anyone using vo using vocal chops, check out Get Free by Major Laser and yeah, see if you can get in inspired by that. Hey, Daw Nation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind the Daw, episode 7.5 with Thrilogy, where we broke down the catalyst. I really hope you enjoyed it. I really hope you learned those things about the difference between Ableton and FL, the unique tips and tricks with starting a song, songwriting, and learning about the proper balance between variation and repetition, along with a slew of other things that we talked about. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, again, if you're interested in the Patreon or giving suggestions for artists to come on the show or private lessons or to download the stems to the song that we dissected today, there are links in the description for that. Go ahead and click on those. They'll all take you to the DaBot. He'll get you set up with the proper things that you need. Again, if you really enjoyed this podcast, go ahead, like, comment, follow, subscribe, you know, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Deezer, YouTube, wherever you're listening, let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. We want to make this the best podcast for you to continue on your producer journey. And finally, please check out the next episode of this. Uh, the next episode is with White Light. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of good things. I don't want to give too much away. So go ahead and check out episode eight of Behind the Daw with White Light. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind the Daw. And you know what? You have a good day. All right. We'll talk soon.